For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And you know that you're here because you want to get the latest, best information out there about cannabis medicine. And today, you will be getting exactly that from a very different perspective. I am so blessed to have Charlene Maver on the show, and she gives us the entire lowdown of what's going on in Australia in regards to cannabis medicine. She and her husband were there at the very inception of the program that they have in that country, and she brings a lot of energy, a lot of information, and just a lot of knowledge that I frankly didn't know much about. And so if you want to know what's happening in the world outside of the United States when it comes to cannabis medicine, this is a great episode for you to check out. So please head over to Stitcher or Apple or wherever it is that you like to listen to podcasts and leave a rating. Let me know what you think of the show. Be sure to give me all the stars that you think that this show deserves. We think five. You might not think so, but I think you will, or else you wouldn't come back and keep listening. And also, you can reach me at Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. That's my email address. Reach out to me directly. Tell me what you think. Share any guest ideas, whatever you want. I'm happy to listen to whatever it is that you might want to say and get right back to you. So without further ado, please enjoy this very unique episode with an expert from Australia, Charlene Maver. Hi, I'm Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast, and today's guest is Charlene Maver. Charlene is a medical scientist with a diagnostic pathology degree and co-founder and managing director of registered Australian charity, Medical Cannabis Research Australia. This charity, since early 2017, has become a leading resource in Australia for seminar education around medicinal cannabis for health professionals, as well as for direct advice to patients. She is committed to advocating and lobbying for the use and easier access to medical cannabis for patients in Australia, as well as sharing, promoting, and facilitating clinical research to give clinicians both in Australia and the rest of the world the evidence they require to pursue this treatment for their patients. Charlene, it has been some weeks in the making, but I'm very happy to be able to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Matthew. I'm really honored to be invited and excited for the next hour. Great. Well, let's dive in. And if you don't mind, please share your story of how you found your way from immunology and all that over to medical cannabis. Okay. So it's a bit of a long story, but um, my, uh, my husband and I became interested in early 2016. We um, 
you're going to laugh, but we came across a meme that said cannabis has caused no deaths. I think it was a Facebook meme um, compared to all these other uh, prescription drugs and, um, you know, nicotine and alcohol. And, and we thought to ourselves, really? Cannabis doesn't cause any deaths? And um, I guess we just sort of started Googling. Um, so I guess, you know, you've heard about my background being a medical scientist um, with the pathology background. So I do have a lot of medical knowledge and I happen to be married to a pharmacist. So <laughs> um, at the time he had a, a, a number of retail pharmacies. And I guess we said to each other, this is really intriguing. Let's just find out a little bit more about this. And it was about the same time that we found out that Australia was looking at legalising for medical use. So we said to each other, well, let's, um, there's nothing happening in Australia. Why don't we see what's happening around the world, see if we can learn a little bit more about cannabis as a medicine. So we happened to find a couple of conferences in the US. One of them was a cannabis science conference and the other one was the International um, Cannabis Business Conference. So we booked ourselves some tickets for late 2016 and off we went. And um, lo and behold, our minds got blown. We realised, wow, um, there's so many treat, there's so many treatments and so many conditions that can be treated uh, via cannabis. And I, I think we said to each other, we need to be part of the movement to get this medicine accepted in Australia. So um, obviously, people have been using cannabis for many many, many years or hundreds of years to treat their different conditions. But we wanted to be part of the movement to have it de-stigmatised and accepted as a conventional medicine for doctors. So um, we realised we really needed to learn as much as we could and get involved in education because that's the start without educating our doctors and, and patients even. How does it become accepted? So we um, formed the charity, um, Medical Cannabis Research Australia, and we started, I started reaching out to anybody at all with any interest, um, any health professional at all with any interest in medicinal cannabis, and um, there were quite a number. And there was also many researchers around Australia that had already been delving into um, different preclinical work with cannabis so I got together these people and I said, right, I need you to speak on some seminars. We're just going to book some lecture theatres in every city in Australia and um, start running some education and something I've never done before. Uh, but um, I've just found um, myself really enjoying it and I, I am a bit of a networker anyway. I love talking to people. So it's really up my alley to to be working with people who are so passionate about this like I am and uh, meeting a whole heap of new people. And we, we feel like we kind of formed the first Australian cannabis family with all these medical professionals coming together and wanting to let people out there know that, yes, you can actually go to your doctor and get a script for medicinal cannabis. So I guess that's how it all started. So over the last... Five years, we have been to numerous conferences all over the world to learn from doctors, researchers, patients, um, analytical chemists. Uh, so we've been to the US um, quite a number of times now, probably about five or six times. 
and we've been to Israel. And uh, no, I haven't met uh, Raphael Meshulam yet, but I have um, met a number of scientists who've been who he has worked with, like um, Professor Debbie Mary and a number of others. We've even been to Colombia, believe it or not, and we participated in the first medicinal cannabis uh, conference in Colombia, which was a lot of fun, um, and obviously Canada as well. So as, as a part of all of this, I guess I, I went into the education side of things and really passionate about sharing research, uh, clinical research around medicinal cannabis and running education. And part of that has been talking to patients and trying to give them some advice from what I've learned and also help them to find a doctor that may be willing to prescribe because that's been a real battle for patients. And um, to offshoot from that, my husband decided that, and that's quite natural, that he would like to import medicinal cannabis products and start getting a network there so that he could provide doctors with good quality and well-tested products. So most of the products that he's dealing with are made good manufacturing practice, GMP. They're really well tested and they're compliant with Australian standards. So um, such, a, such, a lot, such a lot of information to impart. But, um, yeah, so basically COVID, like most people, especially in the education field, it was really hard because we couldn't run seminars anymore. But... I've got my head around webinars now and uh, I'm really excited to say um, we are planning a whole series of uh, webinars for patients this year and there probably will be a few thrown in there for doctors as well. But I'm going to concentrate on specific conditions, which I haven't done before, because usually when we run our seminars, we um, just cover all conditions and we kind of talk about everything and just give a really overall well-balanced education around medicinal cannabis but we've got a webinar coming up in two weeks for chronic pain and I've got about 1500 people registered to watch which is super exciting because there's still two weeks to go so I think I might get up to at least 2000 by then so wow that's <laughs> that's going to be crazy that's um, great well I mean what an advantage that is there's it's definitely not as fun as being able to be somewhere in person but filling up a 2000 person theater in person would be a lot of people so to be able to do that online definitely has its advantages absolutely look the biggest um seminar I've ever run um and they're usually about an hour and a half long has been about 300 people and that was amazing that was amazing to have 300 bodies they're just wanting to learn. But having 1,500 people is crazy. And the wonderful thing about webinars is that it's not just Australians that are jumping on board to learn it. We're getting people from all countries around the world, which is amazing because, of course, we're in our time zone. So some of these people, might it might be the middle of the night for them, but they are so interested in the education that we've got on offer that they'd be willing to tune in and watch. So. Um, I, I just find it really humbling and, yeah, it makes me even more impassioned to, to keep educating and to just to keep going with this, to feeling like you can really um, change people's lives for the better. So maybe you could 
educate some of our listeners a little bit. And we're obviously we're based in the States here and you're in Australia. So maybe you could share a little bit about Australia's laws. When did they pass medical cannabis laws? Uh, Does it differ from state to state? And just give us a little bit of an overview so we have a better understanding what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the laws um, passed into, I guess, physical law um, late 2016, but it did take some time before the first medicinal cannabis products that were of a pharmaceutical quality, I guess, um, for them to come to, into Australia. And I'm very proud to say that my husband was the first one <laughs> to get some products in. So they, they came from Canada, as, as you might expect. Um, and I think around the same time there was another Canadian company um, that had set up an office um, and also had brought some in too. So, yeah, it was mid-2017 that the first patients were able to access medicinal cannabis products. So um, I guess, you know, we started off with just a few doctors. Now we are up to, um, I think, as of last December, around 1,600 individual doctors had written scripts for around 20,000 patients. Now, I know that seems low, but it's been a really exponential growth. And considering there's been a lot of hoops to jump over to access, I think this is really great. So we started off prescribing um, it was only specialists that were allowed to prescribe. So, of course, that opens up a huge can of worms for patients. We've got the time it takes to get into a specialist. We've got the expense of seeing a specialist. Uh, specialists didn't know anything about medicinal cannabis, so but they had to get a whole new education. This is not something that has been taught in medical schools. So, you know, there was just so many... Um, stoppages there for patients that I um, was among a number of people all around Australia that lobbied in each state um, or I lobbied particularly my state to get uh, GP prescribing so um, that actually happened last year not last year the year before um, I forget about COVID we're out of COVID um, <laughs> we're out of the first COVID year I should say um, so yeah we did start off um Slowly, it, now it didn't happen all at once. Different states, I think the first state to have GP prescribing was Queensland and then New South Wales and then us in Western Australia. There's still a couple of territories and one state that still is only allowing GP prescribing. Now, those states have lower populations. I guess it's not impacting as many people, but it still is an issue. I think it would be better if we could get a federal guideline or federal kind of framework so everyone was on the same page. But it's to do with the way our government's set up because every state governs themselves, they all have different laws. And I know you're the same in the USA. So um, it's taken a bit of time. Now, the great thing is, though, the federal government, which issues approvals or prescriptions, has been very liberal and allowing many conditions um, to be addressed when prescribing. So at the moment... Share some of those conditions? Yes. So there's about 150 individual conditions that have been allowed. And now 
you're a lot most of the conditions I would say most of the scripts are for chronic pain so probably 70% of our scripts are for different chronic pain conditions but the great thing is it doesn't matter what where your chronic pain originates from as long as a doctor is writing a script specifically for chronic pain then you'll get that over the line whether you might have arthritis or fibromyalgia or migraine whatever that happens to be which is really great we uh, obviously have a lot of scripts for epilepsy but uh, doctors are very still quite risk adverse with using THC medications and especially in children which is a little unfortunate but I guess it's going to take time for doctors to be happier to write scripts for THC there's still a lot of doctors that kind of only want to stick to CBD but I guess that will change over time the more evidence we get out there the more clinical trials that are published showing efficacy for THC containing formulations so we're getting there slowly and is that some of the work that you're doing there at your research center well, I would like to say yes, but at the moment, I although I am involved in one clinical trial around addiction, which is very exciting, we're still waiting on ethics approval um, for our study. It's a, it's going to be um, using about 40 patients. Um, I'm not allowed to discuss it yet until we've, you know, in full, until we get our ethics approval over the, right, over the line, which we're hoping will come through in about two weeks time and then we can um, spend this year starting our trial which will be super exciting um, other than that um, I haven't really to be honest I haven't had time to to really throw myself into clinical trials because I've spent virtually all of my time running seminars because when we run seminars they'll go for a full week and it'll be a whole week of travel around Australia and we've been doing two to three series of these a year up until now, apart from last year. Yeah, so I haven't had too much of a chance to get involved, but I have had a, a, quite a few of the product companies ask me if I would be interested. And so that's something I'd definitely like to delve into this year and next year. Yeah, I mean, there is actually a lot of clinical trials going on, uh, which is wonderful. There's around 100. About half of those are being run by um, educational institutions through public hospital system and the other half are being run by product companies putting their own products through the healthy individual kind of tolerability type um, trials and also other interconditions for efficacy for different conditions as well so it is there are yeah it is a much of a hotbed right here right now for clinical trials it's really exciting and there's only um going to be more and more announced yeah, and and so most of the research then is around uh, CBD. I take it then. Um, I would say probably fifty fifty. Okay. Yeah, there, there are a lot of trials using um, THC as well, um, especially uh, chronic pain trials. Even though I kind of want to wonder to myself, do we really need more trials for chronic pain? But um, most of those trials are for different product companies to show efficacy for their particular product because I guess the long-term game plan is to have your product listed on the Australian Therapeutic Goods Register. Uh, you need to go through random, randomised contrived 
controlled and probably double-blind trials for that. And once you can get on the register, it's a lot easier to prescribe and also doctors are going to be looking at that product first if that's on the register because at the moment medicinal cannabis is considered an unapproved drug, so I guess experimental. And so that, that's why doctors actually have to apply for, a, for approval from the government before they can write a script. And the best case scenario for a patient is they go into their doctor's office and the doctor writes a script immediately, right, and there's no waiting around, there's no return visits and waiting for approvals. But the great news is that the approvals are coming through very fast, sometimes within hours. So patients are getting yeah, their, their products or their, their um, scripts really fast. And then how does it work for the patients? Once they get their, their prescription, do they go to a regular pharmacy to pick up their medicine or are there uh, cannabis dispensaries like here in the States? Right. So we don't have cannabis dispensaries at all. Um, they sh- Patients can go to their local pharmacy and their pharmacy will just order it in from one of the wholesalers. So there's quite a number of products available now. I think there's around 150 discrete products on the market now, which is wonderful. And uh, about 5% of that uh, would be flour, which is really interesting too. Uh, I think oil products, which I guess are a lot more long-lasting, they, um, yeah, they're, they're a lot more popular and they're also um, a lot more stable and a lot more re- reproducible for, for patients. Sure, like, yeah, a, like a sublingual easier. tincture kind of thing? Yeah, mostly tincture. There are a few capsule products. There's a couple of buccal strip products, but uh, I'd say 90% of the ingestible products are tinctures at the moment. Then other uh, like vaping smokables as well, or inhalers of any sort. There are some um, medical device uh, devices that have been approved for inhalation vaping, but the doctors will never never condone smoking. No, that's not that's not an issue. That's not happening. But in saying that, if you go to your doctor and you get a script for flour and you take it home and you smoke it, well. No one's going to know. I mean, the, the doctor will, will, you know, try to encourage vaping and I think, well, we all believe um, in the medical profession that vaping is a much better delivery method than smoking. But um, in the long run, uh, tinctures are probably even better in that you're still getting pretty fast um, absorption with the blood vessels under your tongue. And and when I know when you're swallowing, you get less bioavailability but the length of time that the cannabis is in your system is a lot longer. You might be getting six to eight hours relief, whereas when you're vaping, your relief may only last for one to two hours. And so you need to be constantly vaping to get the effects that you want. But once again, it depends on what you're using it for. If you've got breakthrough pain, then vaping is a really great option. Right, because you want that immediate onset to be able to have the relief. Well, I, I would expect if you had a migraine for instance and you you thought to yourself I've got half an hour before I'm in big trouble then vaping is going to be great you might not have the time to wait for an ingestible product to kick in yeah or even so, uh, yeah, double I mean, up on them I guess you take the tincture get a vape draw and then hopefully you're good for when it all yeah, kicks exactly. in together 
Exactly, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see um, what are the, what new products will come onto the market, what new delivery systems um, you know that will be available. I would like to see suppositories. You know, endometriosis. How great would that be? And also irritable bowel syndrome. Great suppositories. So there's there's lots of different ways. Um, you know, for different conditions, there are different delivery methods that work better. So it'd be great to be able to address all of those. So your husband's a pharmacist. And and like you said, the, the first to be able to bring cannabis to the people, which is really cool. And so you, with all your seminars and your education, I imagine that the first line of education needs to go for the physician so they actually know what they're doing. Uh, but it seems like the pharmacist would be right in line behind physicians because they're the gatekeeper to the medicine. What's the education process like for pharmacists? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we were running our seminars, we when we first started the first couple of years, we did concentrate mainly on health professionals and we did have, yeah, just as many, probably more pharmacists coming along to learn about it than physicians. Um, we're just starting to see some accredited um, education, formal education for pharmacists and GPs now which is, and other specialists, of course. We're starting to see that now, which is great, through the Royal Colleges of um, General Practitioners. Um, and there's also some other kind of more commercial courses that have got different accreditation, which is fantastic. So it means that the doctors and the pharmacists are getting their continuing education points that they often need for their registration. That's wonderful. I did, I did actually consider putting our own education through that process to get registration. Because it just means that um, I guess doctors would see that as more valuable. But um, to be honest, we're getting so many people coming along anyway. It's almost like I don't really need to. Um, And I know that our education is really high quality and, um, you know, we have researchers and doctors and patients all speaking and I make sure that it's always very scientific and very not non-commercial, totally non-commercial, because I know that, you know, it needs to be high quality education. Certainly. And here in the States, medical professionals, they, they said something about 10% of medical schools offer any kind of education at all around the endocannabinoid system. And we've had medical cannabis laws on the books here since 96, if you go all the way back to California. So for at least 25 years, some states have been working with this medicine, yet the medical community hasn't caught up yet in terms of education around something as critical as the endocannabinoid system. So I'm wondering what that education is like for clinicians and physicians in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, Very much the same. Um, As far as I know, I I've been told that in medical schools they have like one unit, like one lecture, if you're lucky, about the endocannabinoid system. But in saying that um, there's a big group of researchers called the Lambert Initiative of Cannabinoid Medicine and they're doing mostly preclinical work. But they have been starting to go out into Sydney universities and and running lectures and units on the on cannabinoid medicine which is wonderful so it's starting slowly but it's not universally adopted I mean you know we've probably got 
100 medical schools in Australia and we'd probably be lucky if 5 or 10% of those have any kind of endocannabinoid system content. Um, my daughter is uh, studying veterinary medicine and uh, she's just started fourth year and we said to her, so are they, they teaching about the endocannabinoid system in veterinary? And she said, you know what, it was actually in a textbook but the lecturer said, you don't need to worry about that. Don't worry about the endocannabinoid system. We'll skip that and move on. Oh, I mean, we were livid when we found out. I mean, animals have got an endocannabinoid system. They need cannabis medicine too. And considering that, you know, well, every mammal, more actually more, more animals than just mammals, uh, you know, there's treatments that we could be helping, you know, man's best friend. And People treat the animals like their children, and I know because I've got two little dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, they're my uh, fifth and sixth child. <laughs> yeah, it um, seems outrageous. It's a system, it's the only system that connects to every single one of the other main systems of the body. All the other ones act on their own in their own little silo, but the endocannabinoid system works with every single one of them. This is a really important thing that nobody's yeah, being taught. It's absurd. I guess um, we need to break down stigma. It, it's a difficult one, and we need to we need doctors, researchers, legislators to take the endocannabinoid system and the promise of phytocannabinoids seriously. I think it, it's going to take a long time. Uh, it's a it's a very difficult one, and also we're dealing with a a medicine, a drug that is still used recreationally. And I guess doctors see that happening and they find that hard to reconcile, okay, well, they're using it recreationally, and, but, you know, how, do, how can we see this legitimately as a, as a medicine when that's happening? So it's a, it's a really hard one. I guess that's why we decided that we needed to be very methodical and very scientific about what we're doing. I, do, I try really hard, although... I obviously, my personal opinion is I've got absolutely no problem with adult use and I realise that most a lot of adult use is a medical use, but I can't enter into that argument or that conversation because I'm trying really hard to stick to my mission, which is to push forward, destigmify legal medicinal cannabis and try and have this adopted into medicine and I would love to see it in hospitals. I would love to see everyone, every single person able to access it and, and be able to be followed by their doctor for their, for their health condition. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a complex issue. It's a very complex issue. And at least here in the States, there, there obviously is still that stigma. And in terms of adult use, obviously some States have started to carry on that adult use, but Prescribed medications are used all the time recreationally, things like Ritalin and Adderall and opioids. It's it's not like cannabis is the only recreational drug out there that's actually a medicine as well. And so there's so many double standards when it comes to it being medicine. And I'm glad that you're doing some work to break down those barriers and get rid of those stigmas. It's the same thing I'm trying to do here. Yeah, so exactly. So, uh, you know, we still have a lot of issues to overcome here in Australia. We've got the issue of cost, which is all tied up with 
the fact that this medicine needs to be it needs to be subsidised by the government. So that that's a big a big omission. <laughs> um, and and the other the other issue is um, just slipped my mind. Oh, driving whilst on your medicinal cannabis. That's a very big issue. Now, the way we see it, if you take um, a very strong paracetamol or some other drug that might may impact your driving, you don't go to jail for it. You don't get fined for it, right? So why is it different from medicinal cannabis? So unfortunately with THC, it does, you know, stay in our bodies for up to a month, stored in fat cells. So if you are tested roadside for THC, you may have taken your medicine a week ago and you're still going to be, you're still going to have THC detected. That needs to change. So one of the, um, one of those, I guess, um, avenues that we're looking at is maybe we should be looking at sobriety testing as in, uh, you know, a physical intoxication intoxication test rather than a blood test or a, or a breathalyzer we have to be able to have patients who are not intoxicated who are not impaired they should be able to drive this is huge subset of population who still need to go to work and need to be able to drive a vehicle what are the legal thc percentages um, in more of the uh, CBD-based medicines. Do you have anything around that? So uh, so how much do you actually allow? Just for example, so in the U.S., the states that don't have any medical cannabis laws, their TH, THC remains illegal, but CBD is legal as long as it has less than 0.3% THC. Uh, is there anything like that happening in Australia? Now... I don't quite need but and it might be slightly different in each state but in um, western australia i believe we are allowed to have one percent thc in our um, cbd products and that's that's also um for hemp seeds um, any kind of hemp oil products or hemp seed products so um that is is actually fairly liberal it's not too bad it started off at 0.3 percent I, can, I can't remember whether I've got this wrong, whether it's 0.5% or 1%, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's either 0.5 or 1%. <laughs> um, I'm, pro- I'm not as much of a hemp expert as medicinal cannabis, I guess. Yeah, I gotcha. That's although, okay. Yeah. Although, obviously, like we all are, we're all huge um, and passionate supporters of the hemp um, hemp industry as well, and it's it's almost like part and parcel of being involved in medicinal cannabis or cannabis is your uh, passion for hemp too. Yeah, they're sort of married in a, in a special Absolutely. way. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other discussion for a whole other podcast, but just talking about the hemp industry and the kinds of things that we could see happening even in Australia to advance that. Yeah, it's very exciting. Oh, yeah, everything from plastics to building materials, everything. Yeah. In, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually building a hemp house um, this year and I'm super excited. I obviously have a lot of contacts in the hemp industry and I happen to come across a, a builder who probably is one of the best in Australia who happens to live in my state and he kindly offered to build a hemp house for me and he's very traditionalist 
we're not talking about hemp panels here or pre-manufactured hemp products. We're talking about building a hemp house with your hands. So I'm wow. um, very exciting. Yeah. Wow. And so is he creating hempcrete in order to be able to do it or, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah. Very so cool. basically form, form work, form up the walls, pack it in, and we all get to have a go at that and put in some colours, different oxides. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited about this house I'm building and it's going to be very sustainable and we're going for high energy ratings and, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Just another project I'm doing. Yeah, just another side project on top of everything else. <laughs> it kind of was meant to be a COVID project because I was a little bit quiet. But now all of a sudden with webinars, I've got very busy and I'm thinking, wow, now I'm doing webinars, uh, um, super busy with that and I've got my clinical trial going ahead and now I've got a hemp house to build. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you have four kids as well? Yeah. And how, what do your kids think about you being in the cannabis industry there? Um, <laughs> I guess my eldest is 20, nearly 21, and she... Yeah, she's a big fan. Um, she actually helps out in in the distribution business sometimes as a bit of a side job. So yeah, she she's a big fan. Um, the younger two, um, sorry, I should I've got three girls and then two puppies. <laughs> um, and so the other two are, are thirteen and fifteen, and it's a little bit embarrassing still. They oh my god, mum, don't talk about medical cannabis so much. <laughs> but um, you know what I. The more I talk about it and the more I'm open about it, the more it becomes normal, natural, and is just a normal conversation. And I'd like to say that we have been very instrumental in changing so many people's minds in our network just because we're involved in the industry. And people can see us. We're both medical professionals. We're both in this industry. And that actually legitimises it even more. So um, I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of conversations I've had with people every time I go to a dinner party or, or anything where I end up spending my entire evening talking about medicinal cannabis. Yeah. But you know what? It's great. I love it. It's good. Yeah. And then as far as where you are in the country, so you're on the West Coast and most folks live over on the East Coast. And does is there any kind of disadvantage to that? Do you find yourself spending a lot of time over there because of this? Not at all. And um, you'd be very surprised to know that whenever we run any education in Western Australia, we get the biggest numbers coming along. And I don't know whether that's <laughs> because we live here and <laughs> we've got a network but there's also actually quite a few um, medicinal cannabis companies that are based in Western Australia. And the very first um, vertically integrated medicinal cannabis company started in the southwest of um, where we live. So they were the first company to get Australian grown and produced products onto the market. And there's really only been a few since. And nowhere near having the range of products that this company has. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah, obviously our population is a little smaller, but in terms of distribution of products, not, not a problem at all. We, we already have a very um, well-integrated transport system because we have to. We're a big country and we, we have to travel great distances to ship goods. 
So um, Paul, my husband Paul, will often say that he can have a medicinal cannabis product on the other side of Australia within 24 hours. Oh. So no, you know, no problem at all. That's great. And this, so there's no legal issues around interstate commerce then? No, not at all, because we're federally legal. So yeah, yeah it, it makes no difference. So it makes, the only, sense. <laughs> it makes yeah. so much sense. Why not? The only minor issue is if a medicinal cannabis product um, has a, an approval granted in one state, it usually is recorded in the health register of that state. So um, there are some products that are doctors are writing a script for a patient who lives on the other side of Australia, it means that that's kind of getting missed where that product is getting recorded. Usually where, wherever that product is coming from, the, the end, I guess the end of the line, the pharmacy where that product comes from, that is where it's being recorded. But the doctor may be in a different state. So this is kind of happening a fair bit at the moment. I, I think um, probably needs to be pulled together a little bit more tightly, but it's not causing too many issues at the moment. I mean, you're only a foot four and a half, five years in, so sounds like you're doing yeah, pretty well so far. I th I think we are. My personal opinion is I think we are, and from someone who has been there since the very very start, I think I'm fairly well qualified to have that opinion. Um, a lot of other people would disagree, but you know I, I've been involved, um, all seen the distribution, the import, the distribution, and being at grassroots levels with patients from the start. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I'm well qualified. Thank the other exciting talking. thing, we've, um, we, you know, we we're talking about education and education of doctors. We've very recently, um, myself and a group of other people, have started an Australian chapter of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, which is really awesome. So it means that what we'll try to do is grab all of those 1,500 doctors if possible to on board and join an association and make sure that we are supporting formal education of doctors and maybe are able to offer some really good quality um, extended education because obviously there's so much to learn with medicinal cannabis. We've got different formulations. We've got different cannabinoids that act in different ways. We've got different conditions that require a different dosage system or a different formulation. So it, it is very complex. And I guess that is one of the issues why doctors don't jump on board with prescribing straight away because they're just like, I, I don't know where to start. How do I learn? So um, that, that's been a problem. So we're starting to get our head around that a little bit more, which is great. And having help from... US, um, uh, you know, industry and um, similar US societies like the Society of Cannabis Clinicians is really, really great. I know there's, there's several societies with different um, cannabinoid clinicians, which is wonderful. So hopefully we'll all get on the same page soon. I hope so. So tell me a bit about this fundraiser for pancreatic cancer that you have coming up. Oh, uh, so... Um, once again, we, we have an, another um, very exciting uh, research, some exciting research going on in Western Australia. So there's a, um, a professor at a, a university in Perth, where I'm from, who's been doing some work with pancreatic cancer cells and 
CBD and a well-known um, chemotherapy agent called germcidamide. And he actually started off with working uh, with um, uh, pancreatic cancer cell lines. He was finding that, yeah, the, the, the CBD, in addition, was killing pancreatic cancer cells. So he started doing um, some work with mice, same thing. His mice were living 30% longer when they've been treated with CBD than without. So we base, he basically approached us and he said, oh, I really want to continue my research, do we have to get funding, not really sure what I'm going to do. So we said to him, okay, we need to help you. You need to continue this research. It's really, really exciting. So we said to him, through Medical Cannabis Research Australia, we'd like to do a global um, initiative to raise funds for you to continue to extend your preclinical work and start moving into pilot studies with patients. Even if we, we just take 10 or, or 20 patients and see if we can replicate the results that you've had. Now, he has published his paper. It, it's, it's compelling evidence. So that's basically what we'd like to do. So we've reached out, we're going to start reaching out to uh, other cannabis um, societies around the world and also pancreatic cancer associations and see if we can get some funding together to help him. We've set up a separate bank account. Uh, we're going to crowdfund. We're just going to do everything we can and see if we can raise um, $250,000 at least as a start to have him continue his work. Uh, he's got a laboratory going. He's got a number of researchers, a PhD students underneath him, which is really great news. So um, this kind of thing, um, treat, actually doing clinical trials for cancer treatment with cannabinoids, there's not a lot of that happening in the world. Um, we've only had one other clinical trial around um, brain tumour or glioblastoma in Australia. So I think it's really, really important to support these researchers to continue their work. Yeah, and actual human trials. Absolutely. Yeah. And we all know, we've heard the stories. We have, we know people that have treated their cancer and, and a lot of these people are in remission with cannabinoids, but we don't know exactly why. We don't know exactly what formulation works best for which cancer. And um, I know you're probably aware Professor Deddy Mary in Israel has done a lot of work with different cancer cell lines and different cannabinoids or, or, or mainly strains of cannabis with their own unique um, array of cannabinoids to try and work out which strains are working best for which cancers. And he's found it really hard because sometimes you might find, okay, strain X works really well and Lo and behold, the next batch of strain X has a, one cannabinoid expressed one in one match and it's not expressed in the next batch because maybe there was different sunshine in, in that particular growing season. And then all of a sudden this strain doesn't work on these cancer cells anymore. So it's, it's just mind-boggling um, to try and um, work out what, what works and what doesn't work. And I guess if you want a doctor to prescribe a product, we need to know that it's going to work. We don't want to give patients false hope and we need to have reproducibility of results. Yeah, so I think I, fine-tuning the testing 
for specific phytocannabinoids and being able to know exactly besides right now we get numbers for THC, CBD, sometimes CBG for lucky, but we need to have a whole array and know exactly what the percentages are so we can have a, a better shot at knowing if this actual strain of this harvest of this strain is going to be eff- efficacious for the patient. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, um, yeah, like, like we, we said before, it's a very complex medicine. There's so many active components in cannabis. There's, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said there's over 230 cannabinoids that have been uniquely identified. And some of those might be in minute amounts in a cannabis flower. Uh, obviously, we all know about CBD and THC, and that and that can be relatively standardised between batches if it's grown uh, to, to certain conditions. But what about all those other cannabinoids? Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really difficult. Um, yeah, I guess how they, how they interact with all the terpenoids and the flavonoids, and how they all work in concert together, and it's remarkably complex. Absolutely, and you know, um, and I, I dare say. I don't even want to talk about it too much, but at the moment, um, the Australian government doesn't test for terpenoids or flavonoids. So half of the time if we get a, uh, a product or a flower, they don't know what, what's in there in terms of those compounds. They, they test for THC, CBD and minor cannabinoids, maybe about eight, and other than that, not tested. So um, I find that really interesting because I've always been a really major proponent of terpenoids and flavonoids as therapeutic compounds, and I 100% believe in the entourage effect and whole plant medicine. So if you're, even if you're extracting and you're not capturing all of those flavonoids and terpenes, well, you're actually getting a substandard product if you're not capturing those. That's what I believe. <laughs> I think you're right. And I think that I'm looking forward to seeing what all the formulations are that we can come up with, because obviously you don't need the cannabis plant to have specific terpenes. So it you can add them in. And once you figure out that limonene does this way better than anything else. And so maybe if we add three times as much limonene to this CBN concoction, we get the cure for multiple sclerosis you know we we just don't know it, it's such an exciting time to be in this industry definitely and i think um even looking at something like sleep like insomnia having a formulation that's got more lavender um in you i've forgotten what the the terpene is the lavender I'll, ethan russell would tell me off <laughs> um but having one more of that um terpene in um in your formulation, you're going to get a much better quality product that's going to induce sleep, right? So looking at these things, um, as time goes on, I think, you know, companies are going to be a lot more mindful of what kind of terps are going into their products, um, especially if they're trying to treat a particular condition. Um, having a day formula that's like, stimulating and having a night formula that, you know, your pain medication for, or your nighttime dose that is more induced to sleep and having the terpenes to match that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. 
So we're coming up on the end here, and I have one last question that I like to ask everybody, and that is, and I'm excited for the answer because you're in a whole different country, so <laughs> I imagine it'll be quite different. But if you could see one major change in Australia to the medical cannabis industry, what would that change be? The medical cannabis industry? See, um, I, I would like to see a lot more products on the market. I would like to see a lot more Australian-grown cannabis and produced products because that's going to produce a more cost-effective medicine for patients. And I think that there's a major issue with cost. We need, we need um, patients to be able to afford this and then we can see a, a larger majority of patients able to take the medicine. I think we're going to see a lot more doctors adopting the medicine because they're going to see that it is a, it is a viable um, and cost-efficient medicine. I think also we will be able to see it being adopted into hospitals more because it's going to be cost-effective for hospitals, right? It's all about the bottom line and if we can keep patients out of hospital too, we're going to be saving a lot of money. So I guess um, that would probably be my answer about the industry. What about in general, anything related to medicine in, or research or anything like yeah, that? In general, um, so many things. But um, I would like to see so much more clinical research. I think it's an incredibly exciting spectrum of research that we, we're only just hitting the tip of the iceberg right now. I would like to see um, the driving laws changed. I think we will need to have some more trials proving that um, patients or healthy individuals, you know, in a trial are not actually impaired whilst they're on medication. That is very, very important. And that has worldwide repercussions, of course, because everybody around the world taking this medicine needs to be able to conduct themselves in a normal way, go to work, whatever, drive a vehicle, just conduct themselves in a normal way. Isn't that the whole idea? We're trying to get people better. And once they're better, they're getting back into a normal life. So what's the point of feeling better, but you're stuck at home and you can't actually go to work and have a job? That's a great point. That's <laughs> a great point. Well, Charlene, thank you so much for your time. I, I learned a ton. I didn't know enough at all about Australia and what you have going on there. And I'm so grateful to know more. And I'm excited for some of this COVID stuff to lift a little bit and be able to travel there. It's on my top three list of places that I haven't been in the world that I need to be immediately. And uh, I look forward to exploring the country and, and seeing what the medical cannabis world is like there. Thank you so much, Matthew. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And I'd really love to meet you in person as well. So open invitation to come to Australia and uh, see what we're doing. And I would love to come over to Texas sometime um, when it's all safe and, uh, catch up with all my US friends. That would be great. Yeah, just a, a true pioneer in the industry over there. And I, I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. So how cool was that to be able to get all of this really fascinating information about what's going on in Australia. I really appreciate Charlene and all the work that she and her husband have done over the years to be able to bring that program 
to its fruition. And she came to the States, studied over here to figure out what we're doing. And it sounds like Australia has a lot of work to do to get it just right. But they're also doing some things very different from here in the States. First of all, the entire country has a federal legal medical cannabis program, which is totally different from here. And so they can send product across state lines within the country. That would be nice to have here. Anyway, it was a really great conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it. Go leave me a rating. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. <laughs>